so this is a recording uh, with Christine and Nick and Corin on 31st of January 2020. So, um, it's a conversation regarding social prescribing. I'm Corinne Harvey, Deputy Director of Health and Wellbeing Workforce Development at Public Health England. And I'm joined by... Christine Marmion, so the Manager for Ways to Wellbeing, which is the social prescribing service here in York. And I'm Nick Sinclair, one of the Specialist uh, Public Health Practitioners here at City Hill Council. Thank you. And we're going to talk today about uh, what's happening in York around the social prescribing agenda. I'm really pleased that you've both been able to join us because I know there's lots of exciting work going on here. So it'd be great to, to share some of that and to help with the understanding about what social prescribing is and what it's seeking to achieve. So, um, Christine, if I ask you to give us a brief overview of the work that you're leading. Yeah, absolutely. So um, social prescribing is tricky to define due to the fact across the country everybody's doing it differently. Um, but here in York, um, our social prescribing model has been based on a very holistic model supporting individuals within primary care. So how we're set up, how Ways to Wellbeing is set up, has been set up is that we receive referrals from primary care, GP, practice nurses, for individuals who are accessing medical services for something that has, is primarily not a medical concern but has a social solution. Um, and what we do is work with individuals very much on an asset-based model. So we look at the individual in terms of not what's the matter with them but what matters to them, what differences do they want to make to their life and how and why have they not been able to make those differences differences previously so we very much are led by the individual and it's bespoke to each individual person that comes along and accesses our service so we don't have a prescription of social activities that we're just referring out to people but we wait to see what that individual wants and needs and respond to that um, so social prescribing ultimately was put in place to try and reduce the workload that GPs are experiencing. I think the figures are around 20% of people access their GP for a non-medical reason, um, often for reasons such as social isolation, bereavement, debt, housing, and GPs are not set up to address those issues that social prescribing is. So the aim is not for GPs to have to do more, but for them to be able to use social prescribing services to allow individuals to get the support they need from the right place. Excellent. That's a really good description. Thank you. And Nick, what's your role in, uh, in this agenda? Um, so I, I sit on the steering group for Ways to Wellbeing and uh, from a public health perspective, uh, our focus is on uh, improving wellbeing um, from a, a holistic perspective, uh, thinking about how we can make use of our community assets. So we've got a very strong of uh, asset-based community development uh, approach within the local authority generally and, and, and specifically within uh, public health. So I guess my, my focus is on, on supporting the, the ways to wellbeing approach, the social prescribing approach as effectively as possible and thinking about how our public health services like our, our kind of health trainer service that looks at smoking cessation, that looks at the offer of uh, NHS health checks can maybe make use of, 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 kind of community resources more effectively. We've got a range of other um, services uh, across the local authority. Uh, we've got a Health Champions programme as well that, that, that has 90 uh, volunteers currently who are, who are looking to influence health and wellbeing uh, within the local population and act as peer leaders to do that. 
Um, we, I think we, we've, we've got to continue acknowledging the, uh, the, the, the health and well-being isn't impacted solely by health services, that, that actually the benefits of uh, community resources, connecting with people, the things that are often in that sort of greyer area and are more about you know, how people live their lives have a massive impact on, on health outcomes. Yeah, I think it's really important to say that the reason ways to wellbeing ways to wellbeing and the model has been so effective is because of the reasons that Nick has highlighted that we have built such strong relationships with our community and voluntary sector. Ways to wellbeing is based within York CBS, so those relationships were already there mm-hmm. and we've just built on them. And things like the health champions and the local area coordinators, we work really closely together and that's allowed us to build on what we already had rather than competing with one another. Um, I think that speaks to kind of the success really of the work. Absolutely. So it sounds like what you're describing is an existing uh, infrastructure that's born out of the community that's obviously got... uh, is respected and valued by the community Absolutely. that you're trying to amplify by this model yeah. and I think that, that's really important to uh, convey isn't it because I think um, generally there's quite a bit of confusion about social prescribing about the medical model and about the, particularly yeah. the, um, the resources that might be um, allocated for social prescribing and what they might be used for but I think both of you have described something that's really building on uh, a baseline of, of existing good work which cannot exist in isolation absolutely not so maybe there's something about the how you're demonstrating what you're actually achieving and because again you know it's useful to hear about the evaluation and the things you're putting in place to be able to measure and quantify the impact that you're having yeah so the there was an impact report completed last year um, and you know it did highlight showed waste wellbeing in a very positive light. It showed that for over 90% of the individuals who had access to service, it had improved their feelings of health and wellbeing. Um, there was also a GP audit done as part of that, and 100% of the GPs who had been audited did say that it had allowed them to treat their patient in a more holistic way. And I think that is really, really important that you know, there is so much, so many determinants of health for each individual that it's not just one thing or one diagnosis, but it's the whole picture that we need to be looking at. And with regards to social prescribing, the link workers and practitioners have this unique opportunity to provide an individual with time and space to get to the root cause of why they are where they are, rather than kind of trying to stick a plaster on it or give a tablet for it. We're trying to get to the bottom of the whole we're trying to look at the whole person mm. and we're trying to find the root cause rather than you know just addressing a medical condition we're looking at that social aspect as well yeah and and, and those kind of social aspects are, are, are the things that are less simplistic often to to, to to find an answer to and they're very much more personalized and and i think the time and space for a service like ways to well-being and a social prescribing approach is essential because you can't do that exploration, you can't do that you know, creation of opportunity to allow people to find their own ways to, to support themselves and improve their wellbeing in a very short you know, uh, primary care appointment with a GP. So I guess it's probably about trying to um, you know, encourage um, GPs and primary care colleagues to think about 
you know, making more use of, of social prescribing as a concept mm -hmm. rather than feeling, I suppose, perhaps frustrated that, that, that there's, there's not an obvious medical solution for that individual, but, but also not feeling that they have to have all the answers themselves mm. there and then. Yeah, and it's tricky, isn't it? Because a lot of the clients from Waste of Wellbeing have said, you know, they find that the GPs is one of their safe places. Yeah. That's where they feel safe. That's why they go there. And that is a lot to put on an individual GP that... Um, you know that responsibility that this individual feels safe to you and, and it shouldn't all lie with them because there is as Nick said this amazing community voluntary sector local authority who can offer support but we often refer to social prescribing as that bridge between yeah. primary care and then the local authority and the statutory sector and the voluntary community sector because we can we can offer that connection between the two um, so I think that's where it kind of is very useful as well. So you can't expect a GP to know about every mm. choir or every community centre or every you know meeting that happens. Mm. But actually, we have that knowledge and we can share that knowledge. Um, and I think that's where social prescribing you know sits is that bridge between between people, yeah. bringing them together. That's a really good way to describe it. And I think there's something about as well change in culture, isn't there? Yes. Um, around, as you say, the default position has, has been to always think that your solution is going to be in, a, in, in medicine or the you know, primary care model. And actually, um, we, we, you know, as a population, we perpetuate that. So this is about thinking differently. And you mentioned a bit earlier on, Christine, about um, some of the um, evaluation receivers around primary care and GPs feeling more confident. And that's a really important aspect, isn't it? Yeah. Perhaps difficult to actually measure but it's a really good indicator of success. Yeah. So I wonder if there's any more you wanted to say about how you're trying to take that forward and some of the work that you've done with um, GPs around raising awareness. Um, so I think it's it's important to acknowledge that when Ways to Wellbeing started, it was within one medical group here in York in priory with Priory Medical Group, and it grew to three medical groups, so Priory, York Medical, <coughs> and Haxby Medical Group. Um, so we've still been working on a really small sample. I think it's important to acknowledge that. Um, but in that time, the number of different GPs we've seen referring to us from the beginning to where we are now has really grown. Um, and with the primary care networks and this new funding for Linkwork, it's been really important for us to make sure there is a clear message about what social prescribing is. And last weekend, we last week we had the opportunity to attend the GP Protected Learning Town, and we had an opportunity there to share with GPs across York and North Yorkshire what social prescribing is and how it could be useful to them and their patients. Um, and there was, I think, approximately three hundred GPs and health professionals that attended that event, um, and it's received a really positive. Um, feedback so far and I think this is the beginning of us sharing information and communicating more widely with primary care um, because we've worked with only a small number now is our time to you know share our knowledge and information with the wider GP and primary care group you know across the city um, so this is the beginning of that I think it's fair to say. 
Excellent. And um, I suppose part of that is also in terms of spreading the word and raising the profile is also about that ongoing dialogue, isn't it? And that um, confidence, as you said, that primary care practitioners will also spread the word. So it isn't just reliance on yourselves as commissioners and providers to do that. It's also about others um, who are more familiar and get more um, understanding of what social prescribing is, that they will go forth and, and spread that information as well. Is there anything else in terms of the actual um, service that you, you're commissioning and providing here in York and North Yorkshire that you wanted to talk about uh, in terms of what other areas? Because I'm really conscious as well that um, you know, the other areas are at similar places in starting out on this journey and, and it's great to share some of the learning. I think one thing it's really important to share with regards to the model here in York and how Ways to Wellbeing works is an aspect that often gets overlooked with regards to social prescribing and that is how we work with individuals on um, building their resilience and their health responsibility. And that part of the work is so important to try and keep people well and for that long-term impact. Um, so we never say to somebody, you should not go and seek medical help. We're not clinical, that's not our role. But what we do try and do is provide people with coping strategies that work for them and a toolbox almost of things that they can do to help themselves and it's when they've tried those things to help themselves then maybe it's time to seek medical support or more support within your community or your family start asking for help um, but I do think it's important to sort of highlight that we don't tell people don't go to your doctor but what we do try and do is skill them up and maybe be able to look after themselves better and take some responsibility for the areas of health that they can take responsibility for because there's some things they cannot do themselves and they need to seek medical support for and have the appropriate clinical intervention for that. Yeah, I think that's a really important message, um, building people's capacity and ability to make those kind of lifestyle behaviour changes and supporting them effectively to do some of those things because if they were simple, we'd all do them but they're not and there are so many barriers for people and I think being able to have the time to explore some of those and find a way to help somebody support somebody around you know making those changes um, is really important and that's the sort of thing that has a positive impact on you know uh, people's own self-esteem, self-perception, their own kind of lifestyle and health and well-being as well as the you know the, the more tangible things about reducing um, access points into primary care that are not necessary um, and, and, and yeah like, like Christine said it's not about you know directing people away from seeking medical support when they when they need it that's absolutely not what it's about but it's about making use of the additional resources that we've got in the community to improve people's health and well-being you know with the view that you know it's it isn't just those those medical interventions that, that have impact on on health, um, and and there's a, there is a really interesting report for those who who like you know evaluations and data. Um, there's a University of, of Westminster making social making sense of social prescribing uh, report that was um, uh, produced. I can't think of the date actually. 2016, I think, or 2017. Um, it, it talks a lot about um, uh, a social prescribing network evaluation that was completed in, in 2016 and looks at you know, 100, uh, 180 responses to what social prescribing is and the benefits that have been seen in, in local areas and they are things that are quite broad mm -hmm. that are not just about you know, reducing people's access into primary care for inappropriate things. It's, it kind of talks about you know those impacts being seen in the voluntary and 
community sector, increasing volunteering, increasing engagement, increasing co community cohesion, as well as personal, physical, and emotional well-being outcomes. So, I think the scope of something like this is 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 really broad, um, and and you know I think it's great that we've got an established um, pilot in York that we can build on with the addition of this this kind of link worker funding. You know, it's a real advantage compared to some other areas who are maybe starting from scratch. Yeah. And that, that's an important point because I was going to just reflect back to you that um, obviously um, the benefits of social prescribing for those of us who understand it are, are really clear. But Nick, from your perspective um, as the commissioner, presumably you've had to make the case over the you know the preceding months, years to how to make sure this is invested in locally. And of course there are loads of other things that, that require that investment as well, and it's always a challenge. So I wonder if there's anything in terms of kind of key feedback you wanted to get across about how you've managed to convince um, you know, colleagues in, in the council, for example, that this is something that requires a priority. Um, I, think, I think a lot of the, the pilot development was, was down to really passionate individuals, um, Dr Godfrey in particular um, uh, and Jasmine who, 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 were, who were, were kind of the pioneers on, on the pilot of this really um, and, and spent a lot of effort in looking at, you know, starting I suppose relatively small, thinking about being able to demonstrate effectively the impact at a personal level, the impact at you know, an individual GP practice level, the experience of, of, of kind of the GP staff in terms of what, what they saw as an outcome for their, for their patients. And then I think you know, the momentum of this has, has been building gradually over the years and now we've got a growing evidence base of the effectiveness. We were able to start talking about kind of return on investment and purely, you know, financial perspectives. You know, for every pound we invest in this, we see, you know, savings of I think it was about five pounds, roughly. Yeah, yeah, I think, um, and and that sort of stuff really adds to the picture. Um, I think I think you know we've had a lot of positive um, kind of mindset in York. We're, we're quite lucky with that. I think there's there's a lot of focus on progressive thinking towards some of these approaches. I mean, I guess, you know, you've got quite a, a philanthropic, always struggle with that word, <laughs> yeah, well say it. Air to it, we, you know, Joseph yeah. Brown Street Foundation yeah. and, and all those sorts of things. So, so it feels like there's a real strength of community. Absolutely. It comes back, doesn't it, to that vibrant, voluntary community yeah. sector that we have yeah. here in York and that, that want to do more and be part of the bigger picture. And I think it's fair to say that, you know, the voluntary community sector and, and parts of the local authority have wanted to be more involved with yeah. health and well-being and, and not known necessarily how to, to be involved and be part of that and again it comes back to that bridging and that connectivity yeah. of, of, of bringing people together. So this has provided a mechanism by which um, the, the community involved has been able to to, uh, to participate Absolutely. and to lead actually. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. You, you both mentioned there in the conversation around advocacy and champions as well, key individuals along the journey yeah. who've really led this and helped to kind of support it and I think that's, it's, that's really important. We often yeah. hear that don't we when, we when we talk about innovative practice. We've had people Absolutely. engaged who've really championed. I don't think that could have been as successful as it has been without the backing from the CCG, the local authority, and those key individuals within primary care who saw who saw something in social prescribing from the beginning and, and chose to put their necks on the line and, and back it at those, in those very early days. Without the support from those key agencies, um, you know, I don't think it would be where it is now. To be perfectly honest. Excellent. 
And I'm just thinking, are there any, I mean, obviously we've covered a lot of ground and it's been really valuable. Are there any, at this point, any key messages that you'd want to convey around social prescribing, the benefits, if any other area was at kind of at this stage and wanted to have some, uh, some steer from yourselves? I think starting small is really important, not overstretching and learning, because, you know, you're going to do a lot of learning along the way. Um, I think ways to wellbeing found that being based within primary care has put us in a really good position. So that for us has allowed that success, I think, because we were taking referrals directly from GPs, practice nurses, um, and that kind of gives you that evidence base by being within primary care. Um, I think that's a, a really good starting off place. Yeah, I agree with that. I think, I think within primary care, though, it, I guess it's important to, to view it as, uh, as a different type of resource. Uh, I think it, it could potentially be quite easy to get absorbed into primary care practice in a quite a traditional way yeah. and I think it's important to allow space uh, and allow this to be developed as almost a standalone support and that link into community I think that's really important. I guess one of the key things and the key challenges for, for us is that the, the, the you know social prescribing is effective because it taps into what's out there in the community but what it doesn't bring with it is, okay, it, we, we can fund some link workers, but, but if we're not funding the, the, you know, the community-based services, we haven't got anything to link to. to, to, link to. Yeah. Uh, and, and I think that often gets overlooked when we talk about social prescribing. And, 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 and I guess we, we, we maybe need to think about investing more into our community-based services. Absolutely. I mean, we are going to... We have to think about their capacity yeah. and how much we are putting pressure on them by having new link workers in the city and by more services mm. seeing the what the voluntary community sector have to offer and um, you know we need to be finding ways to fund them better and to bolster them and make sure that they're stable really um, because so we could they, it, there's, we run that risk of saturating the voluntary community sector and it's essential that we don't do that yeah so we don't want to, to raise expectations and then not be able to support those, those very services or those very assets that can can meet those expectations yeah. which i suppose will be Really going back to the point you made earlier around part of the motivation for this is uh, providing uh, absolutely a diversion from the traditional. So by doing so, we don't want to then create another kind of um, uh, uh, issue in terms of bypassing that and creating another area of need in the community. Absolutely. So, I mean, that, that's really current and it's, uh, uh, as well because there's a lot of focus in the middle of talk, isn't there, around well-being as an indicator of success and inclusive kind of economies and how a, a, you know an area should judge itself and the well-being of its residents and its population and this all plays into that as well doesn't it but it does require proper resourcing um, and uh, long-term kind of sustainable arrangements absolutely i think there is always that worry that people assume that because something's a charity or a voluntary organization that it's free free to run volunteers are free and that's just not the case these organizations require money to keep running and to employ their staff and to all the, do all the things that any other organization would do and you know we need to make sure that that's highlighted mm. and that it isn't about replacing that with some statutory provision absolutely yeah. There is an amazing, you know, voluntary and community organisations have so much knowledge and experience and, you know, the last thing we want to do is end up in a situation where we don't have that anymore um, because that is a fantastic resource and we're lucky to have it.
So just to end on then, on a positive, <laughs> what, what are the um, mechanisms uh, or the things that you think should happen at, as well as a kind of local level in, in, in York, sort of a wider footprint to help to make sure that that happens, that we do resource appropriately the community and voluntary sector to make sure these things do thrive? I think that's a really complicated Question to answer to me, so and I'm not sure I can. <laughs> I'll give it a go. I'll give it a go. I mean, I mean, I think one of the things is 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 well, first of all, talking much more about social prescribing and this being a, a, a suitable and effective model and being something that's on people's minds. And I think you know, the the, the more that we make use of, of these types of resources and see the benefit of them, I think then the more the case for continuing to fund them and support them in different ways work, you know, it, it builds itself. We talk a lot about collaborative working, we talk about working jointly together, and I don't think, you know, across the board anyone's got it fully fully nailed. It's been a it's been a theme for a while now and it's complicated and it's challenging. But you know, when we think about things like that, you know, perhaps we need to think about more, more about bringing in different partners around the table and, and acknowledging the different skills that, that different types of organisations can bring and really seeing the, that kind of whole pathway type approach to, to how we, we, we develop something with that, you know, that balance of, of, of then not seeing that as kind of recreating a whole raft of different statutory services. The, you know the value of voluntary and community sectors uh, some of it you know really lies very strongly in the community base of it the fact that it's peer developed it's peer led it's grassroots yeah yeah because you know it's really important to acknowledge that one of the things we do is try and refer people to things within their community because we don't want to send people across the city to access something because it's not sustainable mm. but actually if they join something in their community and start to feel more of a member and a part of that community it's got longevity um, so it's really important to not take it out of those communities because that's where it belongs and that's where it needs to be um, so I think that's a really good point Nick to be honest Excellent, okay, anything else that we want to add? Um, I guess just um, Link work just add a little bit about the link work please. Yeah. Um, so we're in quite a unique position here in York in that we, um, NHS England provided funding for um, social prescribing link workers and we are at a point here in York where we have collaborated um, with primary care to bring about these roles so at this point um, within York the new link workers for social prescribing are going to be employed by the city centre PCNs the York Central Primary Care Networks, but they are going to be managed by York CVS. Um, so we are retaining the model of ways to wellbeing um, and collaborating very closely with primary care to move that model and scale up that model into so it's across the city rather than just in a few key um, medical groups. So what's quite unique about this is um, it is a real collaboration. I'm not sure whether it's going on anywhere else in the country. Okay. Um, it's quite a new, unique way of doing things. Um, so York CVS and the management from that allows us to make sure we keep that connection with the voluntary and community sector and all that knowledge and all those relationships that we've built with other organisations that we've, we've mentioned earlier, um, such as you know Health Champions and mm. 
local authority, um, but it also ensures that the link workers are fully embedded in primary care so that we can reach as many people as possible. So this is now pilot, another pilot yeah. <laughs> and we have another year to prove Excellent. that this model can work and this collaboration can work and it is very much at this point about scaling up what we already have but also about trying to stop those individual organisations working in silo yeah. and bringing them all together. So social describing has always been about, you know, originally around that reducing isolation and loneliness and we're looking at reducing individuals' isolation and loneliness, but now we're also looking at reducing kind of system isolation and bringing them together more cohesively. So um, as I say, we have a year pilot to see if we can make that model model work. Excellent, that sounds really interesting as you described. So the, the link worker um, uh, mechanism, as well as the, the timing of the development of the PCNs provided a useful kind of platform. Yes. To roll this out so what would be really helpful then is if we can come back and have another conversation in a while to see how that's panning out and see kind of the learning again sharing that more widely because i think that'll be really valuable for, for other places as well absolutely yes watch this space <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a great idea. Yeah. good thank you both very much thank you thank you